Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Change Your Filter podcast. I am your host, Tall Paul. We are powered by Contractor Commerce. Our guest today is Megan McNally. Megan is the Chief Marketing Officer of The Wrench Group, where among many things, she leads digital disruption for some of the biggest and best brands in our industry. Please enjoy this conversation with my friend, Megan McNally. Hey, this is Megan McNally, and you are listening to Change Your Filter Podcast with Tall Paul. Megan, welcome to the Change Your Filter Podcast with Tall Paul. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. This is great. Really appreciate it. It is my pleasure. I'm honored. And is this your first podcast? No, you've done other podcasts. I've done a couple others just for fun. This is my first uh, professional podcast. I have a girlfriend of mine who decided to start a podcast focused on women and uh, their roles in life. And I've been on that a couple of times talking about a bunch of different stuff, uh, but it was more for fun. So I'm excited about this one because I haven't, I haven't had an opportunity to talk about uh, wrench and all the things we're doing. So I'm excited about it. Good. Well, I'm honored you would consider this a professional podcast and I hope it's fun. <laughs> I am. I'm very humbled that you asked me. It, it was very exciting when you reached out to me. I'm excited about it. Well, that's the the beauty of the position I'm in in doing this is I'll meet people and I'll just think like, oh my gosh, other people need to meet you. And two, like you've got perspective to share. So I think one of the things that interests me most over the last couple of years as like people just share more information with more people and it's people are getting out of their little bubbles and learning from others and, and what better of a perspective to have than someone who's got companies all over the United States. I was looking at the roster Gosh, just this morning and Parker and Sons, Next Gen, Service Champions of what do they call that? Of the North, Plumline yep. in Colorado, Cool Today, Cool Ray, Williams Comfort Air, Morris Jenkins. Oh my gosh. Is unbelievable. Abacus, Baker Brothers, Berkey's. And what I find interesting about this roster of customers is these these aren't just good brands. These are big personalities, big brands. So I've got a ton of questions. Um, but where I'd like to start is for you just to share a little bit about how you became the chief marketing officer of the Wrench Group, which I believe is the largest home service company in the U.S. or maybe the world. I don't know how you measure it. Is it the largest in the U.S.? I love that you say the world. Um, we look at it as, you know, really the largest non-franchised, right? Because there's there's some yep. who are franchised in the home services space. Um, and with the Wrench Group, you know, we really look at how we differentiate when we go to market. And so, yeah, we, like you said, 21 markets, which is amazing. Um, 26 brands in those markets, I think we're up to now. Um, and, you know, knocking on the door of, you know, over a billion dollars. So it's pretty exciting and, and would love to, to share just the history and what that looked like. So, yeah, I can talk a little bit just about how I got here, which is really amazing. And I'm so humbled to be part of Wrench. It's it's an incredible group. Like you said, Paul, it's like you've got Morris Jenkins and NextGen and people who have been in this industry for decades and bring such an incredible viewpoint and wisdom, uh, not only for the industry specifically, but just 
in, in customer experience and what we do. Um, so, so, you know, how I got here, it, I think like everything, I mean, I, I believe things happen for a reason and sometimes those reasons we don't know yet until later, later down the road. Um, but you know, I, came to Wrench Group from a company called Agco, like Agco Corporation. It's a global manufacturer of farm equipment. And I'd been there almost 10 years. And my experience, while that probably to people seems like, okay, how did you get to Wrench Group, which is home services from an agriculture company? What on earth is that? Uh, and and I get that question a lot, actually. And, and a big part of it is, my experience and, and, you know, what I would consider sort of my superpower in business is really transformational projects, transformational initiatives. So while I was at Agco, my focus, again, over 10 years um, there, I was in a number of different roles, both marketing and sales. And a huge focus, primary focus of mine was bringing fragmented teams together bringing decentralized uh, in-market contractors together. So through Agco, we uh, sold through a network of dealerships, independently owned distribution, yet we were looking at how do we bring them all together and become their number one brand that they're selling. And my focus was transformational projects bringing them. And so I created a shared services marketing team, was the last initiative that I worked on while I was there. And that was bringing a team of experts together to help individual locations market and sell better. Uh, And so I'd been doing that. I spent time in the field. So I was boots on the ground in Phoenix, Arizona, working with local dealerships, Caterpillar dealerships, et cetera, on growing their business, accelerating growth they already have, uh, looking for ways to help them in their specific market. And all of my experience outside of a really fun internship with the Oakland A's uh, has been in blue collar trades and really growth oriented businesses. And so that, that experience was really translated for my role here at Wrench uh, because we are decentralized. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, about just our nature and how we go to market, which makes it so awesome that we can have a Morris Jenkins and an X-Gen and an Amicus and a Parker all under one. Uh, so that's that's how I came to Wrench, um, you know, just with that experience and just the ability to bring locations or groups together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a big a big passion of mine yeah. and and a focus of mine here at Wrench. One thing I'm fascinated by is. I'm imagining a contractor. We'll use we'll use Ishmael, Southern okay. California. This is your latest acquisition. So a guy like Ishmael has a vision, wants to start a company, starts it in his garage, I'm guessing, like many do, mm-hmm. and they build a team. And next thing you know, they've built this incredibly valuable enterprise. And they've built it being accountable to their employees and their customers and a small group of people who they generally would hand select. And they run it as a private organization. What is it like when someone like that brings on a partner like you and all of a sudden they're responsible to a larger organization and people who don't know them and people who measuring just KPIs and 
maybe not understanding the nuances of what it took to get to this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what is that like for an owner operator? And what are what are your some some of your experiences and observations of some of those uh, some of those handoffs? Sure, I love that question so much because it's something that we talk a lot about here at Wrench. It's really important to us. Um, you know, Ken Haynes, who's our CEO at Wrench Group, who is an incredible leader and, you know, of course, well-respected in the industry from the onset of Wrench Group, right? In 2016, when Cool Ray, Berkey's, Abacus, and Parker and & Sons, when those leaders came together and partnered and created Wrench Group, the intention and the vision was to create something that was really different than what had been done. And, and that is the guideposts that we remind ourselves of every day because it's so important. And that is we look for great leaders, great cultures in great markets. That's where we start. And that's that in, and you'll hear Ken say it. We say it when we talk to businesses um, who are looking to sell or, or we have interest in that is, the first place we go is great leaders, great cultures, great markets. And that's where we start. So then when you bring that, right, that that is a specific kind of personality. That's a specific kind of culture. You have a group of people who are driven, who are accountable to their teams, who have built something, whether they started in their garage, bought a company and then built it from there. We have those stories as well. The, the intention behind the Wrench Partnership remains the same. Yet, that doesn't mean that there isn't that uneasiness of, okay, this was mine, and now what? Okay, yeah. now I've got these people coming in um, and, and interested in what's going on in my business, right? And I say interested on purpose because we don't come in, Wrench p- looks for partnering with people, and we don't come in and look to change anything, Right. We partnered with someone for a reason. And that's, again, great leader, great culture, great market. We're not looking to come in and a assume that we know what's best for your business, how best to do something that you've been doing forever that has gotten you to that point. And so our team, when I look at the team of Wrench, whether it's my team, myself or my marketing team or my colleagues within technology, HR operations, Ken has really built a team of people who are generally by nature and in profession curious and collaborative. And so you have a team of people at Wrench who want to know and understand what happens at that location, who want to to dig into their business. When I first started at Wrench, I spent 90 days and all I did was go around to every single location I rode with technicians, I sat with call center people, I met with the marketing leaders, immersing myself in in what they do, not coming in and saying, here's what I do, here's what Wrench does, because that is counter to our model. So when you've got an Ishmael who comes in and says, okay, now you know I sold my business and what does that look like? Wrench doesn't come in and say, okay, you gotta change this, you gotta change this, you gotta change this, what are you doing here? We look to bring Ishmael and team as part of it with all these other leaders and cultures so that people can learn, people can learn from each other, 
right? Whether you've got 40 years in the industry or 10 years in the industry, because we stay true to that model of great cultures, great leaders, great markets, and decentralized, you're bridging people together to then learn, understand, right? Ishmael can learn from, you know, someone who's been there for 40 years and the person, you know, at Morris Jenkins, who's been there for 40 years, because they come at it from a specific approach is going to learn from Ishmael and wrench. We focus on bringing those together so we can fail fast, learn fast, test things out, leverage. We talk a lot about the power of wrench and the power of wrench is in the individual locations. What we have at one helps another. And, and, you know, I view my role as a steward of that. Um, and I know that might sound a little trite and it's not meant to be trite because it, it's true. What are ways that we can bring these people together? Because they are doing the same thing, right? just in a different market. And sure, maybe their everyday looks different from LA to Austin, but a lot of the same challenges, a lot of the same uh, questions, you know, how do I add a specific trade to my business, right? Maybe someone wants to add electrical. Well, guess what? We've got all these other people, marketing, operations, sales, who've done it, that helps us do it quicker and and smarter, faster, better. How do you bring them together? So kind of structurally, so you, uh, an owner closes, they become part of Wrench Group and are there standing meetings? Are there regional meetups? Like how does, again, I'll, I'll span across the US here. How does a guy like Ishmael connect with a guy like, um, Jonathan Bancroft and Morris Jenkins. And what does that collaboration look like? What does the, how does the day-to-day change from like a connecting with leadership perspective? You know, it, it's, I'll, I'll use a couple of specific examples just from my viewpoint. One of the things that I started um, when I came here, cause there wasn't this, the role that I came into, it didn't exist before, right? There are marketing leaders at each locations who are successful and, and, incredible marketers leading their organizations uh, and and helping grow their organizations. What wasn't happening is communication with them, right? They, they weren't, they weren't necessarily talking, right? They were focused on their day to day. And so one of the things that I do now is I have a monthly marketing collaboration call. We've got, you know, real tangible stuff. We've got a marketing teams chat where the marketing leaders, they, they ask questions to each other, right? It could be something really big and strategic, and it could just be a question during the day about, you know, a lead aggregator that someone's considering or, you know, something related to, um, you know, campaigns that they're working on. And so bringing those people together. So that's a really tangible example where there are monthly calls with the marketing leaders and the presidents often join, right? They're included to join too. And they share ideas. They share best practices. They share things that they're facing in a market saying, you know, we really need to look at the shoulder months. What's, you know, what are some other things that we could be doing in the shoulder months? And people are, you know, sharing ideas with each other. Um, That's a really tangible item. Um, Other things, uh, you know, because we are decentralized and we don't have a one size fits all, we don't come in and have this playbook that everybody has to go and follow. Um, We don't necessarily say, okay, on day 10, 
here are the things that we're doing. And on day 30, here are the things that we're doing, because that's totally counter to the partnerships that we look to, we look to have. So we do have other areas where we've got operations, leaderships, calls, obviously there are financial calls. Um, There are areas where we do look to gain efficiency or effectiveness. So in marketing, um, you know, for you use the example of a Nishmel or, or, you know, Jonathan at Morris Jenkins, we look first primarily at where is the biggest opportunity where everybody is doing the same thing, right? Is everybody in every, you know, every market, all 21 markets doing the same thing that we can either be more effective and more efficient, yet not impact their day-to-day, not affect their culture in a negative way, or not impede on them so it impacts their business. So those are, the, those are the things that I, from a marketing standpoint, I'm evaluating all the time, right? It doesn't necessarily, you know, I don't necessarily get involved in a day-to-day decision that a marketer is making, right? That's, that's not the role of Wrench, right? They know their business better than I do. They know their day-to-day better than I do. And I should never assume that I know it better than they do. Yet, there are things from my standpoint that I can see across all of them and say, huh, all of these marketers are facing the same challenge. They're all facing the same thing. Let's bring them together and figure out how we do it better, how we get more efficient, how we get more effective to serve the customer at the end of the day. This makes me realize the challenge in your role then is how do you lead transformation because time's not slowing down, technology's not slowing down without being incredibly disruptive to the businesses. And that is really, really hard because that will impact, of course, operations and culture. And you implement one system that someone doesn't like and they quit because they don't like it. Talk to me about your role as CMO. So this is a a new position with the Wrench Group, Chief Marketing Officer. What does your day-to-day look like? And what's your, what's your role? What, what are you responsible for as the CMO? Sure. (laughs) Lots and lots of meetings. There are days where I'm like, (laughs) oh my goodness, why are there so many meetings? And now in our, in our teams or zoom or whatever the, the tool of choice is, it's, you know, it's constant, but my focus when, when I uh, first started and as you know, I'm in, it'll be at the end of this year, it'll be year four as uh, the head of marketing here. One of really the three main pillars of my focus are one, digital engagement. I I hesitate to use the word digital transformation because I- I was waiting for it. (laughs) I saw you pause. (laughs) There's a collective eye roll when people use the word digital transformation. I think it's really overused and, and really just sort of not clear. For my, my focus at Wrench is how do we use technology- to create a better customer experience, which then equals obviously more revenue. So that that's one. Two is data-driven marketing. And I'll, and I'll talk a little bit about that in terms of a day-to-day. It is data-driven data enablement. And then a third is really around brand strategy is, is just at the location, as we think about brand strategy, how do we continue to disrupt our local markets, right? Getting and seeing ahead 
for those local markets. So, so I'll talk about kind of those three in terms of a day to day, right? Digital using technology to just create a better user and customer experience. That looks like looking at technology. So I'm working on a, a huge marketing technology stack implementation. Again, if we think about sort of the pillars of wrench, great cultures, great markets, great leaders, what is everybody doing that everybody could benefit from together, but maybe as a one, they couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Right. So we are bringing on a marketing technology stack that everyone will benefit from. It's a, it's a technology platform. Every location continues to own their day to day, whether it's messaging, websites, assets, branding, et cetera, but they can all tap into a shared technology, which powers more knowledge of the customer, increased conversions, larger ticket for those deals, cross sell, et cetera, right? That's a big part of my day today is looking for those areas that everybody could benefit from that only accelerates what they're already doing. Right. So everybody's got websites. Everybody's doing pay-per-click. Everybody's got TV advertising and radio advertising. My day-to-day is focused on digitally how we use tools and resources to just do that better, do it smarter. You know, data, right? Data is a big one. When you talk about, you know, when you brought up the, the, you know, how do you look at all these different groups coming together, right? Different personalities, different cultures. You know, marketing is emotional and any marketer listening to this, people get emotional about marketing, right? Not only is it generally fun if you're doing it right, but but it's your brand, right? For many of these people, this is something they've built from the ground up or they've spent years pouring themselves into to build a company, right? And so marketing is emotional because it, I mean, from my standpoint, it matters, right? Marketing is is such a critical part of the business, but it but it can be emotional. And so a lot of that is is change management around helping provide more value, but not getting in the way of what's been successful. And so I use data a lot. I am a I'm a very data focused marketer, my team of subject matter experts. I have a really small team because again, decentralized, there's no need for me to have a big marketing team because there's people locally who do it. But my team is focused on data. Um, How do we use data to make better decisions? And that, you know, Paul is then having a lot of conversations and, and building trust and credibility with locations and then using data and having conversations around, you know, Again, everybody's doing pay-per-click. Everybody's got websites. Everybody's got TV and and radio. Maybe the data tells us we just can do it differently or better. And then what do we do on a market-by-market basis? So that's really where my day-to-day is. I do a lot day-to-day around bringing shared services and resources to locations. So so an area is, um, again, around data is providing the marketers with tools around their market, giving them access to information that they never had before, right? That is, that's a huge power of wrench is we have the ability to get information about performance around customers, uh, around insights of those customers that is so very powerful. And that's where our focus of mine is, is how can I take that, that 
powerful ability for us to get information about our customers and give it to a location marketer so that they can make better decisions day to day or, you know, talk to their president about things happening within marketing, right? So my a big focus in my day to day is empowering the location marketing teams with information to help them do their job. You mentioned that part of it is, you know, looking at technology that will improve the customer experience. Talk to me about your view of the customer experience today, just kind of on a macro level and what possibilities are there in the future? Like, where do you see the customer experience changing, improving, evolving over time? Gosh, we could have a whole conversation about this. We're about to. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, it's, this is something that I, I am really passionate about and I'm so curious and interested in on a daily basis. So, I mean, this is, this is a thing and I think it's a thing in our industry. Okay. Because I think that in, in a lot of ways, our industry is behind what a consumer wants, right? We are all consumers, whether we're consuming HVAC services or a new pair of shoes, right? We're all consumers and we are in a time and it will only continue to get more where we want it faster, more personalized. We don't want to waste our time with brands who don't know who we are. We don't want to waste our time with with brands who send us information that inundates us with, with things that don't make sense for us, right? That's what we want as consumers. And it's no different in home services. And so I see our need. So in this industry, I see one from a changing standpoint is we as, as a home services industry, we have to just get better at personalizing and digitizing our experience. And what do I mean by that is just meaningful communications to our customers in a digital world. So real-time scheduling, online commerce, personalized information to my mobile phone, right? I mean, these are the things that we have to get really good at. And I think in general, now I'm, I'm, broadly saying this because I think there's some who do it really well and some who are who are unsure or uneasy about moving that way is not being afraid to have a relationship with a customer online right we are we are a phone call business and then we are a tech inside the home business and it's a shift to think about what is my relationship with a customer going to look like If we only interact online, if I have a customer who is buying, scheduling, communicating with me only online, because guess what? There are tons of customers out there who do not want to talk to a call center rep. Yeah. And so how do we do that? Right. That's where I see the industry needing to change and us as a service to a consumer needing to have that figured out of. How do I communicate to Paul exactly what he needs at the right time? The bottom line is for all of us, it's revenue, right? It's more business if we figure this out and if we do it well. But it's we, we've got to look at, again, it, dialing for dollars is, is not working. Mm-hmm. And that there has to be additional channels that we create that are easy to engage with. 
you know, it's interesting. It's as an industry, we think there is an exemption for us that as more people want to shop online and not interact with a person that we're somehow exempt. And it's just not true. It's just not true. Huh. And conversations like this make me feel less crazy for what we're doing at Contractor Commerce. <laughs> I know, so, right? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And you know, really, I mean, I just think about it and I don't have like my Megan buying clothes online or ordering from Amazon to be delivered to my door hat. And then when I need to book my, my, you know, fall tune up, I put on my other hat and like, you know, want to submit a form online. Right. It's, it's, we're the same, right. We want it to be easy. And, and at wrench, our locations are incredible at what they do that from, from the people on the phone to the technicians coming into your home, they are a pillar is that we say, right? And you'll hear Ken say it, customer thrill at every interaction. And that because we are so good at customer thrill at every interaction, from a marketing standpoint, it can be a little scary to think I'm now doing that without a human interaction, right? It becomes a digital interaction. Yeah. And, and we as consumers can all think of instances where that has happened and it felt natural and we talked about it and then we became loyal to that brand. Completely. All day. Yes. And it's just expected. Yes, it is expected. It, it is expected. And, and it, that, like anything, right? I mean, as businesses who are so successful... If you look at doing something a little bit different, that can be scary, Mm -hmm. right? And so from a marketing standpoint, you asked a question earlier just around, you know, my day to day and what that looks like. A lot of it is working with marketers on what makes sense for them, right? We do a lot of proof of concept type stuff, right? We don't do a mass, you know, shift of anything. We do a lot of proof of concept, right? If there's something that a location might want to try in in the marketing space that nobody's done yet, or, you know, we don't look to go out and say, okay, right now, everybody, everybody's going to do it. We'll look at a proof of concept and really dissect and, and, and measure it, right? This goes back to the data piece is what happened? What was the customer experience like? What does that look like? And then we take it from there because again, these businesses are successful. They have customers that they're serving. I mean, we serve millions and millions and millions of customers a year. That relationship matters. Um, and so we've got to be intentional in what we do. But that's where, you know, I, that's where I see the industry, A, going, right? And frankly, I would say that we're there, right? We're yeah. there. And so we've got to catch up in a lot of ways. And we've got to look at how we might do things a little bit differently. Can you give me an example in current state of a way to thrill a customer at some given interaction that our listener, if a listener picks up on today, they can apply to their business and make an impact? Mm, That's a great question. I think a couple of things that that I've seen at some of our locations uh, that they do really well. And again, I'll, I'll talk specifically around marketing. It's one being more personalized in the communication. Mm -hmm. Okay. So specifically information that you are sending to customers, get out of the 
what I what I call in the very technical marketing term of spray and pray. Mm-hmm. Okay, get out of spray and pray. So we do a lot of personalized communication, and our locations are doing that. And that kind of goes to the power of wrench, right? We have so much information about our customers that we can then provide to, you know, say a plumb line or fill in the blank on what location that gives them specifics around the customer, right? Megan McNally is this customer and she does these five things. That marketer can then personalize the communication. So when we talk about customer thrill, it is creating a personalized experience. And that can be as simple as email. So for marketers, if, if there are marketers listening at contractors who maybe don't have mega technology tools, it, that's okay. Take your information on your customers and look to create a personalized communication. It can be as simple as a personalized email. Instead of saying, you know, to everybody, send something to a group of people who have open estimates and put it directly to me, Megan, thank you so much for this visit here, you know, here's information that can be done. Shoot. That can be done in an Excel spreadsheet with email. You don't, you don't need a ton of fancy tools to just change a little bit of the way that you're marketing to them. So that's one in terms of, you know, just personalize the experience. We all want that personalized engagement with brands because it shows, Oh, they know me, right? Oh, I can trust them. Right. Another customer throw, we have a lot of, um, our locations do after the fact communication. Mm -hmm. So after a visit, after an install, and this might be something that a lot of people are doing, but create a personalized connection point, right? That a lot of times we think, Oh, that ends with the install. Sure. Maybe you've got a membership agreement with them. That's going to continue, but add an extra touch point at the end that creates a further connection whether it's a small, you know, gift of some kind, um, a thank you note, right? That's something that works very well as a thank you note from the leader saying, thank you so much for your installation. Those are really, frankly, quick and easy ways for a marketer to create more customer thrill because it's stuff that other people aren't thinking about. Right. Yeah. And it's when people think about going back to your point about having a more kind of tech enabled, personalized, you know, one-to-one communication, like that doesn't mean you don't do all the, all of the other things. And I think that is the challenge our industry has is, and Will and I call it the, or mentality. It's like, well, I can do PPC or this, or no, you can do, and, and I can't do it all at once, but testing doesn't mean pure elimination of other, you know, foundational things. Paul, I love that. The both and, right? Yeah. It's like, it isn't. And and this, I love that you said that because you're exactly right. This happens a lot of, well, if I'm doing, you know, if I'm doing more Facebook, for example, right. what happens to my brand? Well, it's again, it's, it's not, oh my gosh, I'm now using digital channels and, and I'm forgetting all about that right? Mm-hmm. A couple of things, right? One is your brand is everywhere. Whether whether it's in what, what is considered a traditional sense, like on your van or on a TV ad, 
that's your brand and it has to come through in the digital channels, right? What makes your brand meaningful to a customer and have it come alive there, right? And so I love your example too around like, if I do pay-per-click, well, then I'm not doing this. It's also that idea of testing Mm -hmm. from a marketing standpoint that gives marketers a lot of power because you're able to take, you know, a, a subset of something while other things are happening and learn from it. Right. And there, you know, I talk to my team a lot about this is just this need to be curious, right? A need to be curious. And I think in our industry, it's so important because again, we're, we're working with customers every day. We've got technicians in the home every day, right? And so we talk about as marketers, are we getting information about our techs and what they're hearing from customers, right? Just being curious about what, what is happening out there and challenging ourselves to not get stuck in the same thing all the time, even though it's worked. Exactly. Well, I want to go back to data. Sure. So part of part of your job is leading the data science and marketing insights team. You've talked a little bit about marketing insights. Talk to me about predictive analytics, artificial intelligence. How does this play out in the home? How does this influence or shape how you interact with customers, customer experience? Talk about those things. Oh, man. Okay. You know, predictive analytics, kind of like when I jokingly was talking about digital transformation, I think people hear artificial intelligence or predictive analytics. It's like, oh my goodness, what the heck is that? And we don't need it, right? It's like, we're we're home services. We don't need it. I believe that because we are engaging one-on-one with customers, that information only helps create a better customer experience. So when we talk about AI and predictive analytics, those are really loaded terms, right? They're loaded terms and we hear them all the time. And and I think people too think there's some sort of silver bullet, mm-hmm. right? And so we've got to be careful about that. So my team and I, we are very careful that there is no silver bullet, right? There is no silver bullet with predictive analytics or artificial intelligence that is just somehow going to magically change our business or get rid of you you talked about sort of this or mentality is now that we have predictive analytics about our customers we're getting rid of everything we've done before right i think that's sort of the you know this mentality that there's going to be some mega change what i see and what my team focuses on with predictive analytics and i'll start there to me and my team that just means can we get ahead of a customer decision, right? I mean, that's what we look at is, can we get ahead of a customer decision? So if we see that customers within a specific segment behave in a certain way, can we get ahead of that? And very specifically, if we see a group of customers with you know, a certain household income, for example, or in a certain market, tend to engage with installs in a certain way, mm-hmm. how do we get ahead of that? And so it's perhaps doing the same thing we've always done, which means, you know, pay-per-click and TV and email to customers, but using that data to maybe shift what an offer might look like, the timing that we hit those customers with information. So instead of this spray and pray mentality, 
we're going to that person with communication that is meaningful for them during that time frame, right? So that's how we're using predictive analytics is just, is this information giving us something that tells us we should be communicating with our customer in a different way? Artificial intelligence and information that way. Again, keeping it because, because it can be so overwhelming, right? And it, it, it can feel very daunting to, to, to locations, right? Especially because it's new. Um, again, using it to give us information that helps us better engage with our customers. And so this could look like down to, you know, routing, routing technicians, using, using information based on customer engagement that says, you know, Steve and his truck, right? We should be in these areas instead of these areas. And that helps dispatch, right? From a marketing standpoint, that information, when we, for our websites, for example, my team is really focused on how do we track behavior online, right? And not in like a creepy way, because there's a lot of creepy, (laughs) weird, like, you know, digital tracking that happens, but just enabling us to look at what is a customer doing online and how do we make sure we engage with them? We are in a, we are in a crisis business, right? My basement is flooded. My HVAC is broken and it's 115 degrees in my, on my second floor. I need you now. Yes. And so how do we take that? We know that, right? We don't have in many ways, we do not have a long buying cycle. It is immediate. So how are we present? But then when they start engaging with us using AI and predictive analytics to give that customer exactly what he or she needs when she needs it. And again, that can be offers, content and information when they go online, call scripting with customer service, right? Oh, hello, Mr. Redman. We see that you, you know, did this the last time. That artificial intelligence and then predictive analytics is going to give the call center person something specific to your need. That's where I see this going, right? So that's where my team, data scientists, analytics, they're looking at. How can we segment our customers? How can we use those tools through predictive analytics, AI, to, again, serve up information that creates, again, a faster booking and a job, right? right. That's, our, that's our bottom line. You know, when you said there is no silver bullet, I was nodding my head and agreeing like, oh yeah, I know I've said that a hundred times, but I'm thinking about myself critically thinking that as a marketer and as a business, like I'm constantly looking for the silver bullet, even though I know it doesn't exist. So it's almost like human nature to look for like, what's the one thing? Well, let's talk about the one thing. So you've got an incredible cast of characters across the country, leaders, businesses who have done remarkable things. What are some common themes among these businesses or these leaders that were transformational? Uh, well, let me say this another way. They weren't silver bullets, but what were what were the breakthroughs? Do you recognize any mm-hmm. consistency or what were those things that took someone from being an underperforming business to now being part of one of the largest home service businesses in the world? Well, you know, my first comment is we, Wrench Group isn't, made up of underperforming businesses. Right. Right. And I don't mean that in a arrogant way, but, but wrench group is made up of some of the best, not always number one, but, but in the top, you know, several 
companies in their market, right? These are the best of the best. So in terms of transformational, you know, we're not, we are not with companies who are struggling and their brands aren't well known and they've got issues and there's company issues or whatever, right? Again, great cultures, great leaders, great markets. And so I would say what's transformational is bringing them all together. And the so one, bringing them all together. You've got a group of people who they are just innately driven to build teams, to support customers, and to grow. And the transformation, I think, happens because you bring a group of open-minded people, right? You've got to be open-minded because you're going to learn something. If you're, you know, if you come in and you're like, I've got, you know, 40 years of experience and what the heck am I going to learn from, you know, Megan who came from Agco, right? It doesn't work. Just like for me, if I come and say, well, I, you know, I came from a corporate company. What is, what is, I'm going to learn from that? It doesn't work, mm-hmm. Right. We've got to collectively, and that's what's amazing is you've got people who just have not only a very humble approach because everyone realizes they can learn something and to an open mind to learn from others. And, and that, that's where the transformation comes. And so it might be, again, a, you know, wrench, most people, you know, if, if you follow wrench or see wrench, you know, one of the things that we started last year was we greenfielded. So instead of, instead of partnering with locations, we greenfielded, we went to Austin, we went to Orlando, and this year we went to Tucson. We took all of that experience and those brands, and we took them to new markets. That's transformational, right? Because we took the model and the leadership and together went to a new market and said, let's, let's start it from scratch. Right. Is that part of the strategy as you look out over the next couple of years? Like what are the, what are the growth goals and ambitions for the wrench group? Yeah. Great question. Greenfield is absolutely right. When we look at, and I know I've said this now probably a million times since we've been talking, but Great cultures, great leaders, great markets. That is a tall order, right? That's that's a tall order. That's that, and especially because we don't assimilate, right? We don't we don't say like, oh, come in and you got to fit this mold, right? We want that specificity in culture, right? That's what we want. There's only so many, really, right? And and there are so many more out there. Right. There's so many more out there that we would be so excited to partner with. And how do we take that and, and bring it somewhere else? So, yes, Greenfield, that is something that we actively look at is what markets is, you know, what markets is there an opportunity for us to bring operational know-how, strong brand and serve customers in an underserved market? When you talk about great markets, I'm hung up on this question. I've put three stars next to it, so I have okay. to ask it. Um, it's not even that great of a question, but <laughs> what is a great market for you? What I mean, you just named Austin, Orlando, Tucson, all three different yes. markets in a lot of ways, but all kind of hot sunbelt. But what does a great market look like for the wrench group? When you're, when you're whiteboarding around the office there in Georgia, where are the parts of the country that 
interest you and excite you the most? You know, that is, oh gosh. So again, kind of the, the thread of there is no silver bullet. Okay. Because like you, you said, Austin, Tucson, Orlando, really different. So we look at a couple of things that because A, there is no silver bullet. It's not like, oh, here's this list of the 10 and this one is the best one and this one isn't. Because a lot of it too depends on the operator you get in. Yeah. And can you find text? We'll talk about text, you know, I'm sure. And, and people, that's a huge piece. But it's, okay, first is, is it underserved, right? Is there someone already there that is just, you know, knocking it out of the park? Is there a really reputable, well-known brand? We, we look at that. A couple other things that we look at is, is of course, right? Climate, that matters, right? Is it is it hot? Like you mentioned, we definitely, I mean, Wrench has such a strong presence in the Southern part of the United States. Um, size of the market matters. But a lot of it too, Paul, is, is there's, of course we have sort of this playbook, right? We look, if, if it's a small market, maybe there's just not even opportunity for us to penetrated enough to be worthwhile. Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, Tucson, Austin, Orlando, you're looking at kind of the secondary tertiary kind of markets compared to a Houston or an Atlanta. Right. But can we, we also look at, can we, can we have an operator and then a brand that can have an impact Mm -hmm. there? You know, I don't want to give away too many, you know, trade secrets, (laughs) but, um, if we stay focused on our principles, right, of, and when you talk about great market, okay, if we say, you know, we've got an operator who's just great, we think that's going to work, right? They've got great leadership, they've got experience, et cetera. They can create a great culture, right, in that, right? They take the formula that worked at a specific, so, you know, we took Abacus. Abacus went into Austin. Abacus, incredible leadership there. Alan O'Neill, Tony Patino, I mean, incredible leadership, take that and then you you build that in Austin. Austin was a great market because a we saw it as underserved. Yes. Huge growth, right? When you think about it, it's growing like crazy. And you know, Austin is a pretty cool market because it's got a culture of its own, right? And so how do we create a brand that can hook into a culture of its own, right? Tucson is kind of the same way, right? It's it's just got sort of this local feel. Orlando is a little bit different, right? It's a little bit bigger, a little bit more migrate, you know, migration focus, you know, more, more people coming in and out of it. But growth is a big one where, you know, households are there households that are underserved. So I know I'm, I'm maybe skating around that a little bit because I don't want to give the full wrench no. to the greenfield market, but no, that was clear. Yeah. Okay. No, okay. I appreciate that. And I, I lived in Texas at one point. I've lived in the Midwest. I've lived in a lot of different places. I love Texas for a lot of reasons. I also don't love Texas for a lot of reasons. I'm, I feel like I'm giving Texas too much credit and discredit <laughs> equally on the show, but man, you talk about 4,500 square foot homes on slabs with four systems sitting outside that right. just get beat up all year long. Right. Great equity, great markets, great job market. Um, people who you know don't want to be a hundred degrees in their home. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of great right. things about Texas. And that's like, you know, California is one. I mean, we, you mentioned Service Champions North. They were a recent partnership with us just in the last couple of years. Um, That was our first California partnership 
right? right. So Service Champions North was the first California one, Northern California, incredible business, incredible leader, incredible culture, all of those things. And then, you know, with NextGen in Southern California, but like that, I mean, California is not an easy, No, everybody knows it's not an yeah. easy place to do business, right? And so we'd covered a lot of ground in the country and weren't in California, yeah. right? And so that was one thing we knew, okay, it's a huge state. Weather, you know, weather definitely, depending on where you are, I mean, can act in, act in your favor. We have to be there, right? You've got, yeah. you've got to be in California. And so, you know, that's where sometimes the, the framework of what makes a great market doesn't always make sense. It's like, well, is it super business friendly? It's a little bit hard, right? And I'm from California. I am a San Francisco Bay Area girl. And it was like, California is pretty tough to do business in, but you got to be there. Yeah. And so that's where looking for the right company and partner, that matters a lot. And so we're, I mean, Service Champions North is such an incredible group. Next Gen, holy cow, great, you know, great location and the work that's been done there. So it's kind of exciting to be in California with those, with those folks and serve that market. When you started four years ago, the private equity space, I'm sure on your first day, they told you just how competitive it was and explained all the nuances and all the players. Fast forward four years, it's even more so competitive. There are new players. There's new nuances. Describe the evolution over the last couple of years with private equity. What challenges and opportunities have the changes in the market created for you or anything Mm -hmm. around that space? Sure. So, you know, we... We have been, we wrench, we've been very fortunate one with the private equity companies who we've been a part of. So Investcor was first and they were wonderful. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about what I mean by that from my perspective. Um, I'm sure, you know, someone else that you would talk to would have a different, but from a marketing perspective and then Leonard Green and partners. So they, Leonard Green purchased us in 2019. And so we've been part of the Leonard Green family since then. We've been very fortunate. Those two PE firms, they understand our model, right? They understand the, and Leonard Green too, they understand our decentralized model. And so that matters, right? Because I think in the private equity space, given the nature of private equity, that might rub up against, you know, what private equity wants, because maybe there's more efficiency that could be gained if everybody centralized. Right. And so, so that's one, it is, it is in the last four years, the private equity space one, it's very hot. I mean, you see private equity companies buying home services every day, almost, it seems like, right. So that's created an environment where, Things are more competitive, right? Deals are more competitive. Uh, engagements are more competitive. You also have an environment where a lot more people are maybe thinking, hey, maybe I should sell, right? Gosh, maybe I should take advantage of this and and sell. And so a lot of, you know, we get a lot more inquiries of, hey, what is it like if I, you know, what would it be like if I join Wrench or, you know, I'd be interested in it. And so for us, you know, that creates a really unique environment because A, things are more competitive for for companies and B, we get more people interested. However, the one thing that hasn't changed is really our 
our mantra, if you will, is great cultures, great markets, great leaders, right? Yeah, you can't too much. while so much has changed because it is super competitive, it's aggressive, it's um, private equity dominates, there's a lot of money going in and out of the industry with acquisitions and all of that. We've got to stay really sound in what makes wrench and what works and what doesn't, right? We know what we're good at and we know what companies make that happen, right? And so, what hasn't changed is that, right? Our true north hasn't changed, even though all these things around us have. I envision the industry like a giant cruise ship. I think I shared this with you. And it's packed full of hundreds of thousands of contractors and distributors and manufacturers and everyone who's got an interest in home services. And I look at companies like the Wrench Group as being kind of out front on the top deck looking out. You've got vision that we just can't see down here sure. from that view. What do you see over the next 12, 18, 24, 36 months or, mm. or beyond? What are some things that maybe our listeners contractors should be thinking about that? They're not. Well, gosh, I love that analogy because I can just see it. I can, I can just see, right. yeah. see it. I, I think I think there are two things and there's a million things that people should be paying attention to, but to boil it down, I think there's two kind of main things that are top of my mind in terms of marketing, but just from a business standpoint, one, it is creating meaningful connections with the customer, right? We just kind of going back to what you asked about before is we just, we as an industry just have to be more focused on easier ways for people to do business with us. And I think, you know, the, the last couple of years has taught us that, um, with, with the pandemic and how that changed the way people just do things in their everyday life. There will be more things like that. I mean, I, you know, not necessarily another pandemic, but there's other things that are going to change the way we as consumers need to make things happen. We as an industry need to be looking at what we do, whether it is virtual technician appointments and just getting really good at that and how that works with our operations. I mean, that's one to online commerce, right? I mean, you're you're in that with contractor commerce right now and what that looks like, right? It's it it isn't enough to just say, well, it's hard to spec out a piece of H, you know, a, an HVAC online. We can't do it. Right? We can't do it. It's too hard. There's too many, too many options. There's too many things. Someone's going to figure it out. Many people already have. What are we going to do about it? Yeah. You know, we, we see, you know, digital disruptors, you know, obviously Amazon, right? What we as an industry offer is we can go the last mile. Amazon, Amazon can't go the last mile, right? They've got to partner with people to go the last mile. Right. Right. So, what do we do about that? Right. So I, I think that that contractors should be looking at that is, OK, so sure, Amazon can deliver a water heater. But what role do I play in that? How can I get engaged with that? Yeah. Right. What do I do? Because I can go that last mile. I I have the person to go into the home. How do I create that meaningful connection? So these things become not a threat but a benefit, 
right? Sorry for interrupting, but no, you just please. reminded me of something that I'm passionate about. And you mentioned Amazon. Think about this for a moment. Our contractors have been doing free local delivery on professional, you know, warrantied heating and air conditioning and water heaters same day. They could do one hour delivery. Like they're doing this already. They need to meet the customer where they are to explain that we are the last mile. You don't need to go to an Amazon or a Lowe's or a Home Depot. They need to reframe the concept of middleman being yep. the local contractor and think of middleman as the outside, you know, Amazon or whatever. I'm, I'm naming too many companies, but think about that. Like mm-hmm. people are fascinated that you can push a button and have something delivered to your house in two hours. You should, be, you can do that today with yes. Morris Jenkins in Charlotte. You can push a button and get something relatively yep. speaking within two hours. And so a lot of it's not just change operationally. It's just change in understanding how they serve customers because they're doing it now. Like Mm -hmm. I, if I'm a HVAC company, I'm talking about free local delivery. I've been doing it for 25 years. (laughs) Exactly. Like (laughs) without FedEx or UPS. Um, Right. You're exactly right, Paul. You are exactly right that and so it's, it's, yeah, you're where it's not even changing your operational structure. It's just telling people differently that you've been doing it mm-hmm. right. There's sort of this assumption that, you know, everybody knows. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, you're exactly right that it's been done. And so instead of saying, Oh man, right. Amazon. Great. It's going to be a race to the bottom. Now it's mm-hmm. just a price war. The value that these contractors provide because the other thing is you've got the relationship with the tech, right? You, you have technicians who are then creating a personalized experience with a customer. So, yeah, so that, that's one, um, you know, the other is, and, and this is, you know, a little bit outside of my realm, but something from a marketing standpoint that, that we look at all the time is people, People, what are contractors doing when it comes to recruiting and retention? And this is something that, you know, really excites me in in the marketing space because I think that we as marketers can apply uh, a lot of the principles that we do with customers to recruiting and retention. And, And I think in general, that's not always done, right? It's sort of like, oh, recruiting your intention, that's an HR thing, right? That's pretty normal. Oh, it's an HR thing, right? I, as a marketer, I market to customers. I don't, but every opportunity when we market our brands is an opportunity to reach a potential employee, right? It's, it's, are we building credibility with our brands? What are we, you know, what are we doing that way? So whether it's an offer on a television or, you know, a pay-per-click, it's an opportunity to build the brand. But, you know, again, the cruise ship analogy, it's what are we doing to make the trades desirable? What are we doing to create an environment where people want to stay when they come on board? These are, these are questions that whatever your role you should be asking and then working as a team to answer because it's something that we all face. Every industry is facing it. Home services, given a couple of things. One, the misperception around the trades. We do a lot and we've started a lot at Wrench around just this ridiculous 
perception about the trades. And we, you know, think everybody's facing it, you know, where before, you know, I was of the generation. It was like, go to college, go to college, go to college. Well, guess what? A, it's not for everybody. B, people are saddled with student loans after it. The trades are such an incredible place to be. We've got as a collective to, we've got to sing from the mountaintops, the benefit and value of being part of the trades. And there's so much work that organizations in our industry are doing that is phenomenal in this space. It's incredible, right? The, from women in HVAC to explore the trades, to all these organizations who are, who are working to get information out there that the trades is a place to be. Yeah. That's something that I think we should be, you know, from the cruise ship, paying attention to, we're paying attention to it. What does that look like? And then once you get them in, how do you get them to stay? Right? Because again, it's a competitive market. It, you turnover is, is common in all places, um, particularly ours. How do you create cultures that make, you know, make people want to stay? Right. Um, so that, that's a big one that, that I think again, looking out contractors need to have a plan for, and get ahead of it versus playing catch up when somebody leaves. I tell people all the time when someone asks me for advice, oftentimes I'll just say like, look at what Morris Jenkins is doing and do that to the degree right. at which you're able like, there's not, innovation's not required at this stage. Like people can, there's plenty of ideas. I mean, but speaking of Morris Jenkins, if I can see what you're saying playing out here in Charlotte. You know, Charlotte is home to some big employers and one of them is Morris Jenkins right. and big brands. And people talk about working at Lowe's or Bank of America or Wells Fargo or any, and Morris Jenkins, like Amazing. it's a great place to work mm -hmm. and you can see it play out through the subtleties of their marketing, the consistencies of their marketing. Um, just do what Morris Jenkins does. I think I've been blamed of having a love affair of, with Morris Jenkins. <laughs> Um, final question here, and thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time and insight. Final question is you think about the wrench group. What are you most excited about right now? Oh gosh. You know, I, um, I tend to be like really eager and excited about so many things that we're working on. Um, when I see the possibility within this industry, and what our locations are doing in their markets. There's so much where I see this as only the beginning. Again, we'll use Morris Jenkins. I mean, they're, they're an incredible brand. That desire or that love affair you have with them, customers have with them, it didn't happen overnight, right? They built it, it is, it is in their blood, right? They eat it, sleep it, drink it every day. Right. And, and I've seen that as we've partnered with them. It's this is the Morris Jenkins way. And if it's going to hurt that, we've got to look at it. Right. So what I'm excited about for Wrench, you know, the possibility that exists with these locate with our locations is significant. Right. When we think about the size of these markets, the customers who are not served today by a Wrench company, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what that means. I'm excited for people and the opportunity for people to come to wrench. I'm very excited about women in the trains. That's a big one. Um, 
you know, for a number of reasons, I think that, you know, women in the trades is something that, you know, I think a lot of people kind of say like, oh, you know, there aren't very many women in the trades. There are a lot of women in the trades. And and how do we get more? Right now, they're, you know, maybe 10% of the workforce, but, and we can do more to welcome them. But I'm excited about the fact that what we see is that women make more than men in the trades, PS, for any of the women out there who are interested in the trades. So that's something that I'm excited about is how do we create environments in home services and specifically at Wrench that, um, you know, bring diversity to the, to the workforce there, because Again, you know, Brene Brown has this awesome quote when diver- she says, only when diverse perspectives are included, respected and valued, can we start to get the full picture of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what Wrench is, right? It's like Wrench is made up of all of these different perspectives. So most excited as I sort of like weave through this, because there's so much that I am excited about. I am most excited for what all of these locations coming together can do collectively. Perfect. Listeners, if you want to reach out to the Wrench Group, I'm going to give Megan an opportunity to share that contact information. But before she does that, I want to thank you for making it all the way through this episode with Megan McNally of the Wrench Group. If you like this podcast and you're enjoying it, do me a favor and here's my Venmo. I'm kidding, not my Venmo. <laughs> Go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. Go to the Apple store, find it, five stars, use Megan's name and tell her how much you appreciated this episode. Megan, if listeners want to get in touch with you or the Wrench Group, what is the best way to do that? Sure. Um, first, thank you so much. I'm so humbled to be a part of it. And thanks to the folks who are listening if you want to get in touch, please feel free to email me. Um, it's mmcnally at wrenchgroup.com. You can go to wrenchgroup.com and you can find my info there as well. Um, but mmcnally at wrenchgroup.com. Feel free to email. And if you've got something for me or anybody else at Wrench, I'll get you in touch with the right folks. Thank you so much, Megan. I try so hard to remember every time I address you that your name has two N's. <laughs> It's very hard to remember because <laughs> I don't, I've never met somebody who has the same one. Not that it, it, it no, no one ever remembers. So, yeah. Well, it, please forgive me if I ever forget it, but I will, I, I make it an intention every time to make sure I include the second end. And so, thank you for that. Thank you so much listeners. Thank you for listening. See you next time. This episode, like all episodes, is brought to you by Contractor Commerce, plug and play online stores for contractors. We see a future where every contractor has an online store.